the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Folks, welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the Stations that you're listening to here in Central Florida, it's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. And uh, every weekend we gather like this uh, under the tutelage of Alan Dempsey, who does our engineering superbly each weekend. And uh, then Andrew Herdliska produces these shows. And uh, Doug Logan joins me from Camden, New Jersey, here in the first half hour. He is the founder and lead pastor of Epiphany Fellowship Church. His new book is called On the Block, and Doug is with us. And Doug, I'm so glad we can hook up here, and I hope things are well with you. All is well with me, Pat. Thanks for having me, man. Excited to be with you. Tell me about Epiphany Fellowship Church before we talk about your book. Well, Epiphany Fellowship Church is a church plant. Um, Two churches partnered together in 2009 and 2010 during my residency and planted us in 2011, um, Epiphany Fellowship Church. I was at 10th Presbyterian Church and Epiphany Fellowship of Philly, where my pastor was Dr. Eric Mason there and Dr. Phil Riken, who were my sending guys when I came to plant. So, yeah, so we're in Camden in what some would call the Heroin Highway of East State Street um, in North Camden, and we planted 2011, and God has been very, very gracious to us. We are a crazy diverse group. Um, racially, socioeconomically, and um, um, trying to exalt Jesus and reach the least the last and the lost with the gospel. Tell me about On the Block developing a biblical picture for missional engagement. Give me an overview, and then we'll, we'll plow into the details after that. Well, the general overview was I've, I've coming from an inner city and going to an inner city, what I've seen um, as a church planter and as a ch- coach of church planters is I've seen a lot of churches build build their church plants on the strengths of Christian friends, which that's a part of it. I did the same, but often there's a there's a removal of a missional movement. Missional just meaning um, evangelistic, if you will, event um, evangelism, missional engagement, presence evangelism, constantly engaging the least, the last, and the lost in those neighborhoods for the lost. So I just saw a whole bunch of church plant church plants being a collection of Christians and not necessarily an army of missionaries mm-hmm. that, that want to reach people who don't know Jesus. Let's on plan- the street. Yeah. Hey Doug, let's go, let's start. There are three parts of this book: foundations, speaking of Camden, and speaking of your city here. So, uh, under the area of foundations, uh, you start with Adam, 
So, so fill us in on how that fits. Well, Adam, um, you know, I think one of the good templates of understanding um, the mission of God is that as Adam sinned in the garden, he and his wife, um, um, they didn't come running to repent to God. Mm-hmm. God came after them, Adam, where are you? And he didn't leave Adam and Eve in their sin. What did he do? But he made a way for them in the promise of Messiah, uh, this divine one who was going to bruise the head of the serpent, and that he was going to um, reverse this curse and make a way of redemption and salvation. So Christ provided the sacrifice, was he himself, did not leave man in their sin, but he went through to him. Adam didn't come to them. So when I think about Adam, um, I'm an Adam. I'm a sinner, and God comes after me. Therefore, as a missionary to the Irving context, I go. it's our duty to just go after people um, with the gospel who are lost in a situation where they maybe think they can't come out of. So that's what missional means to me, going after people who don't know Jesus, that we might take it to them and not expecting them to come to our cool churches. And then you talk about or write about Nehemiah. Uh, tell us about that. Well, Nehemiah was in a, 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 a city that had been broken down, a city of um, people like me, disobedient to God, and um, a city that was torn apart, and people had been in bondage for many years, and um, the landscape of the city was broken down. I often, you know, jokingly with my sanctified imagination, say all the row homes were abandoned and broken down, and Nehemiah put together some contractors, some bakers, some fishermen, and to rebuild the wall. But the pro- in the process of rebuilding the wall and rebuilding the broken city, Nehemiah began to build the people up through the Word of God. And so when we begin to build up the people through the Word of God, then our broken-down cities begin to get built up, because built-up people build. That, uh, I think about Nehemiah, here's my idea of Nehemiah, that they were rebuilt to rebuild. And that's the, pr- the prayer and the hope. But I don't want to go into the, my city or any broken city and try to fix up all the buildings and consider the people secondary. You know, the, pe- the city is beautiful because people meet Jesus. Um, that's what beautifies the city. And people that know Jesus, they fix houses and plant gardens and have children and give their children in marriage. That's what they do. My guest is Doug Logan. He's uh, joined us from Camden, New Jersey. We're talking about his book, On the Block. Now, uh, the next chapter you write about is simply called Jesus. Uh, I want you to tell us about that one, Doug. Okay. Yeah, well, when when I think about Jesus, I think about his, his role and his example and his model of missional engagement was, you know, as he, I think about the woman at the well, I, I remember the passage in my Elizabethan King James, he says, I must need go through Samaria. So, you know, it, God was intentional. Jesus was intentional to engage the woman at the well, and the woman at the well had multiple problems that are synonymous with problems of today. Multiple husbands living with a cat currently that wasn't her husband, and um, she had tied herself to to genealogy and geography, this mountain and these people. And and Jesus didn't tell her to come visit me at the temple. 
But right at the well, he engages her. And we see Jesus engage people right where they are in their brokenness, speaks the truth of his self, the truth of his word, where they are. And we see the satisfaction of this woman at the well. Why? She came to get some water. She drank from the wellspring of life, the aquafina from heaven, and walked away and left her water bottles. She left her water pot. Therefore, I believe when we model Jesus and pursue people, broken people, hurting people, sinning folk like ourselves, man, um, folk are going to find the great nourishment of Jesus right where they are. And then, to close out that section, uh, you do a chapter on Paul, Doug. Um, are you a Paul fan? I'm, I'm a big-time Paul fan, um, um, just because I'm a Christian, and second, because I'm a, um, a bootleg Presbyterian. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm a, Paul. <laughs> I'm a Paul fan, man. And Paul, to me, my pastor calls him the, the, um, the gospel globetrotter. And um, the man took beatdowns and whoopings, and, and as well, Jesus put his life on the line to see other people's life um, not on the line, us, to save us. And Paul, in like fashion, went all throughout the known world, the Roman Greco world there, to take the gospel. Acts 14, they beat him and leave him for dead. Acts 17, he's provoked. He's upset that Jesus' name is not the most famous. So he engages. Acts 14, he engages. The Bible says in Acts 14, um, as he gets to, as he's running through Iconium and Lystra and all that, he gets to the city and he says he preaches the gospel to that city and makes many disciples and says through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Tribulations is not an option, and engaging people is not an option. Going to them is not an option for Paul. We see that in Acts 17. He gets to the city. He's waiting on his boys to show up, and he sees all these idols, and he goes right into engaging people with the gospel. He doesn't—he he, he spends a lot of energy getting them where they are, Areopagus, and, and in the market, yeah, they're in the marketplace. They're at the university setting. He is going toe-to-toe, head-to-head, to share the gospel in a way that each context can to understand the truth and the beauty of our Messiah. My guest from Camden, New Jersey, is Doug Logan. Uh, we're talking about his book, On the Block. And when we come back, we're going to get into that part called Speaking of Camden. I'm eager to hear all about that. Uh, just a reminder, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Finances were not designed to bust our marriages, but build our marriages. That's Chris Brown talking about money from a biblical perspective. There's a world's way of handling money that's rooted in entitlement, and there's God's way of handling money that is rooted in contentment and gratitude. Got a money issue you need help with? Listen to Chris Brown's True Stewardship, managing God's blessings God's way for God's glory. Chris Brown's True Stewardship, afternoons at 2, right after Through the Bible. Here at the intersection of faith and reason, the new 94.9 FM and AM 950, W. 
This is a special notice to all U.S. taxpayers. If you owe the IRS or state back taxes and cannot afford to pay them back, there's good news. Due to the financial hardship many are facing in today's economy, the IRS has made it easier to settle delinquent tax problems through a federal program called the Fresh Start Initiative. Qualifying for this program will resolve your tax problem, end all collections, and possibly reduce your back taxes by up to 90%. If you are facing wage garnishments, liens, bank levies, audits, or payroll, taxes, it's not too late. Your circumstances may qualify you for this special program, protecting your savings and your assets. If you owe the IRS or state back taxes and cannot afford to pay them back, there's no need to worry anymore. Call the hotline at Victory Tax Solutions to see if you qualify and potentially save thousands. For this free information, call 800-222-1963. 800-222-1963. That's 800-222-1963. Think about your floors. Are they worn out, stained, or dated? Now think about new floors that are fresh, updated, and look great. Whether you like the feel or soft carpet between your toes or the gleam of freshly polished hardwood, now is the time to buy half-price flooring vouchers. For a limited time, we have vouchers to make that floor remodel easier. Don't wait. Go to AmazingRadioDeals.com slash half-price flooring. That's AmazingRadioDeals.com slash half-price flooring. Plus, vouchers are a great way to use your tax refund. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Doug Logan is my guest here this morning. Uh, He's uh, the founder and lead pastor of Epiphany Fellowship Church in Camden, New Jersey. His new book is out. It's called On the Block. And Doug has advertised uh, part two, speaking of Camden, Camden. Them people, beginning on the block, movement. Those are some of the uh, chapter headings in that part. Why don't you tackle that whole section and fill us in? Well, when, when, when I spoke with Camden, I, I wanted to give um, some real practical, experiential things that God had given us to do in our city. Um, in other words, Pat, I just didn't want it to be theory. I didn't want to try to be... Uh, uh, evangelism Yoda. I wanted to be a fellow brother. I wanted people to read this book and be underwhelmed by by ability to reach the least, the last, and the lost, and be overwhelmed with God's grace and sovereignty to do it and choose to use raggedy folk like me, too. And so when I think of so the examples of Camden, I use were the examples that God had blessed me and graced me to see. So um, I wanted to show a city, um, one of the most, the most dangerous, the most impoverished, um, most violent, um, per capita murder um, rate leader in the nation. And that, simply put, people in Camden don't call themselves that. They call, they call Camden home. USA Today calls it the most dangerous city, but Camden just calls it, people in Camden just call it home. And so to get out into those streets to show, um, to, to show off Jesus, man, it was great. So we just did a bunch of things, and so I used Camden in terms of examples. But I also wanted to camp my experience with Camden as examples. But I also wanted to highlight um, the challenges, and one of those challenges is fear. It's fear. I mean, I'm talking about going to the most dangerous city, I think, about Chicago, who is record-breaking in murders this year. I mean, last year, and they're already... Um, getting very 
um, violent this year, man, it is scary. So it is dangerous. Your life is on the line. But when Jesus calls us and sends us, he goes with us and he keeps us. And it's worth it. It's worth it to go and see that lost person in that broken city where people struggle, churches struggle to plant, mainline churches have abandoned. Man, when you see that crazy urban missionary getting it in for Jesus, hitting the block, and when I see people meet Jesus, their lives are transformed and converted, man, please, it's worth all the risk and danger. And, uh, and it reminds us of Jesus risking it all and laying it all down, dying on a cross in our place. Um, it's all worth it to me. So, yeah, so fear is a reality. So we don't move in fearlessness. We move in wisdom. And so, yeah, we're careful to move. And, and then also just some stories of people who have been deeply damaged in this urban context, in my city, that responded to Jesus. You know, some people say, well, how do you talk to a drug dealer, a gangster, a, mur- a felon, and all that? You talk to them like you talk to a person on Wall Street. You talk to them with love, grace, and, uh, and respect. And you have a gospel that tears down every wall. Talk that Jesus, good talk. Talk that Bible, love folk with the cross, love folk with the word. And so for me, to reach Camden, man, we can reach so many places. And I just gave examples of what God did in our city. Tell me this, uh, if you would, Doug. Do you think evangelists are born or are they made? I think that there's some people with a deeper gift of evangelism. And then, and I think, and so born or made, but I'm, I'm mindful of Paul who says, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. In other words, um, there is no niche evangelist. Everybody's on the hook for missional engagement. Everybody is a missionary. Anybody that has been saved by Jesus is a missionary. Whether you're born or made, both are responsible to live out the gospel missionally, in community, in this hostile world. Introverts, extroverts, timid, boisterous. We are all blessed with the Holy Ghost, and with Holy Ghost power, and with Holy Ghost power comes Holy Ghost boldness, and our ownership and a responsibility in this world for the lost. So, born or not born, we're all called to do the work. We're called to obey Him in going to make disciples of all nations. And yes, yeah, it's going to be harder for some. Some of them have a gift to talk, and some of us don't. <laughs> and But we're all on the hook to honor Jesus and taking the, taking the gospel to the nation. Doug, let's go to the third part, and it says, speaking of your city here, and then you talk about fear and submission and sentness and doing something. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's the final piece of your book, and I want you to expand on that, please. Fear was, I talked about that a little bit already, fear was that, that, that piece of the reality of the, of the violence, of the gunshot. Um, I pray for my past, for pastor friends and pastors in the Church of Jesus in um, Chicago all the time. They are doing uh, hard work of, you know, being on the front line. They're, they're doing more funerals in Chicago 
probably they're probably doing more funerals than weddings. Yes, they are. And it's hard. And so there's a real fear. So we have to walk in wisdom. And then submission plays right falls right into um the reality that we are on the hook for it. So we submit to the Lord and we don't submit to our fears. We don't submit to our, our introversion or extroversion, but we submit to Christ and we trust him to take us into the city. Um, furthermore, we, as we continue, and I'll zoom in on fitness, fitness um, is this, this, this missional impulse, I think one blogger called it, this go, this Isaiah chapter 6, where he says, here I am, send me. And the task was a difficult task, but he didn't back down from that difficult task. I don't know if I don't know if Isaiah was celebrating the challenge that he would face, but he was celebrating seeing his God high and lifted up as the temple rocked, um, as the foundations rocked, and he saw God in um, the seraphim, and he saw that man. He was encouraged and challenged to go to a difficult task to the nation, to the children of Israel in that point. And so we, too, have to have that missional impulse. God gives that, and I think it's birthed out of ownership of the lostness of our region and a real desire to see people who hate God, love God, and the life it changes as we seek to rewrite the narrative so that my children and my grandchildren grow up in a different city, one where Jesus' name is famous, where it's been marked by the grace of God and no longer the disgrace of violence and evil. And then doing something is just some simple things. We did, we cleaned up a basketball court we call the E-Spot. Spot stands for safe place for our teens. And we do book bag drives, a thousand loaded book bag drives, uh, a thousand loaded book bags in our parking lot. We have it a whole day, community days, where we're screening for the ever-present diabetes and high blood pressure in the urban context and asthma as we help families try to be more healthy. Um, from prayer nights to block cleanups to partnering with our cities, um, um, serving with the mayor. Man, just do something. You know, take a meal to somebody. Bring a fan or air condition to a family we know. We've done all these things to try to show off Jesus, the random acts of kindness, and the beautification of our city, because in that, man, it's just a blessing to the whole city. My guest, and he's a good one, folks, Doug Logan from Camden. The book is called On the Block. Um, You mentioned Chicago, Doug. Why is it gotten so difficult out there? What is going on in Chicago? What's your read? Oh, man, my read is, well, first, if you ask a lot of pastors in Chicago, they would say it's been rough. Folk just have camera phones, and there's Internet now, so it's more advertised. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's one. The second thing is, um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of socioeconomics that we could discuss about um, Chicago um, and the challenges of, of of unemployment and the cycle of poverty. Um, um we could talk about the gangs. There's a there's a plethora of things that make this powder keg, this 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 evil gumbo, if you will, and um, 
Yeah, that and the second, and so we could discuss those that are contributing heavily to it. Of course, the fall. Of course, the reality of sin. But sometimes, and I don't know this to be exact, but I've, I've seen so many pastors partnering together in Chicago, man, and really praying and going hard and just jumping into those families. Sometimes God shakes those up and calls the church out to use those crazy pockets in history of violence and destruction for his name to be made more famous over that. So I'm praying that God, as he uses great pastors like Brian Dye, like Charlie Bates and uh, Pastor Meeks and different pastors all throughout Chicago, man, man, I'm hoping the church turns up and we see a new revival, a new awakening as the people at the church is forced out of comfort onto the street, onto the block, and to see Jesus made name more famous than ever. And we all need a shake up. Every city needs a shake up to get off our comfy couch Christianity and remember the old rugged cross so that Jesus name is exalted because Jesus name is exalted in the most desperate, violent times. His name does not diminish because his church is going to take his name to the nations, to the broken, to the streets, to the, to the oppressed. And his name is going to be exalted over this mess. And so God uses these breakdowns for come up for his name. Doug, what do you see happening across the river from you in Philadelphia uh, as far as inner city uh, movement and uh, growth of the church, impact of Christians? What, what's happening in Philly? Oh, man, what's happening in Philly, man, is I'm a plant of Epiphany Fellowship of Philly. And, man, there's a bunch of plants going on in Epiphany Wilmington with Pastor Derek, Pastor Charlie, Pastor Trev down at Epiphany Baltimore. And so even now we have Pastor Watson and Pastor A.J. They're planting in the northeast section of Philly by the Boulevard and Grant down there, mm-hmm. further down, somewhere around there. Don't mess my streets. I'm probably messing the streets up. You have um, a host of awesome churches in Philly, a great movement, um, a part of Acts 29. You have um, a host of great churches. I think I'm at Cohen at City Light Church, Pastor Brad Leach. Man, there's so many crazy church plants jumping off. And Camden, and there's so many existing churches, man, that have been grinding for Jesus a long time. I'm seeing so much renewal, revitalization, new partnerships, um, um, and I'm glad to be a part of that. And then God is doing some crazy, awesome stuff. People are people are meeting Jesus, man. Um, folk getting healed, man. God is doing some crazy stuff in Philly. So I'm I'm super excited about what God is doing. Praying that it would turn into a crazy awesome, just jump off for more church plants, more partnerships across the nominational line, because um, big city there, man, we, we preach a big gospel, but we just need to be a big church, because we have a big Jesus. Doug, in closing, what is your definition of a church plant? Uh, what does that really mean? Well, for us, that's, that's, that's a, um, for me, I came to a city, I I was an individual pastor, and me and my wife, and I had a group of people that had been praying with me, and there was, to me, a segment of people in this city that weren't being reached, um, and also, um, there was, our city is about 98% non-Christian, unchurched, mm-hmm. and so we came in raw. We came in as a group of about 47 people 
and we began to have Bible study, and we started something completely new. Um, yeah, we started something completely new, Epiphany Church of Camden. And from that, we launched in January 29th our first public worship service. And um, so a church plan is a new work started fresh, not taking over an existing church that's been there, but starting a new work, often for us as Epiphany Network of Churches and as an Acts 29 guy, then we go in to a place and we try to go to a place of unreached people and start something new, start a new church, a new community of believers that are going after a community of lost. Doug Logan uh, has been our guest author of On the Block, founder and lead pastor of Epiphany Fellowship Church. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Well, our guest in that first half hour was Doug Logan from Camden, New Jersey, uh, talking about his book, On the Block. Uh, My guest in this second segment is Martin Copenhaver, president of Andover Newton Theological School, author of To Begin at the Beginning... We're going to have a good chat with uh, with Martin. This is the third edition of this book. Well, first of all, Martin, welcome. I'm glad we can visit. How are you doing? Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. And uh, the next question really is, uh, how did the book come about? Third edition. Walk me through uh, how the other editions went and why a third edition. What's going on here? <laughs> well, it's, uh, gratefully, this book has been in print uh, since 1994. Really? Uh, in these various editions, uh, it, it came about because there were folks in my denomination, the United Church of Christ, who thought that a book that was a basic introduction to the Christian faith would be really helpful to the members of our our churches. So they asked me to write uh, this book, and uh, uh, gratefully, it's been in the hands of a lot of folks, not just the United Church of Christ, but also in other um, in other denominations as, as well. Uh, feeling like there was a, a need for a kind of uh, a basic introduction, both for those who are new to the faith and those who want to uh, get a grounding. I think many people feel plunked down in the middle of the Christian story when they go to worship, for instance, and uh, to, to give a kind of baseline. Uh, the original title of the book was Christianity 101, but just as the book was about to come out, another by that title came out. So they um, uh, asked me to come up with another title. I like this one much better to begin at the beginning because it makes it sound like you're about to tell a story, which I think is what we try to do in the Christian uh, faith, is to tell the Christian story and to live it. What do you do full-time, Martin? What's your current work all about? Yeah, I, I served congregations for 34 years, and now I'm the president of a theological school, Andrew Theological School, which is the oldest uh, seminary in the country. Actually, the oldest graduate school of any kind, believe it or not, founded where, in 1807. Where is it? Well, it's in Newton Center. Massachusetts, which is a close-in suburb of Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm speaking to you from uh, Yale Divinity School, 
uh, and we're in the process of exploring an affiliation with Yale Divinity School. But I'm the president of Andover Newton, and proud to be so. Well, that's good. And what goes on, for example, at Yale Divinity School? Uh, <laughs> would 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 uh, oh, I don't know. Would a professor from Dallas Theological Seminary be comfortable at Yale Divinity School? Well, I, I think in many ways, yes. People have come from all over the uh, the country and from forty different traditions. Mm-hmm. It's an ecumenical uh, divinity school, and uh, the people here are training for religious leadership in a variety of settings, whether it's the uh, the church or in the academy or in society. So. Uh, it's, it's quite a vibrant place and very much a part of uh, this remarkable university. Now, let's uh, plow into your book. There, there are different themes, as I read the book, different themes. Let's start with this theme, and then we'll move on. But start with the Bible in, in this basic theme-oriented book. Uh, let's start there. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you write? Well, it's a good it's a good place to start, right? I mean, uh, sure. talking about the Bible and where and where do you begin to tell the Christian story? That's really one of the things I had to uh, uh, to wrestle with, and it doesn't begin with creation as the Bible does, in the sense that the, nobody commissioned somebody to say, "Okay, now write write this holy scripture and begin from the beginning of, of creation." It, it really, I think, the story that part was only um, covered after the people of Israel had the experience of the exile, and that that was kind of the galvanizing event, that they saw God's hand in their um, uh, escape from captivity, and it was only later that they said, well, what was this God up to before the Exodus? What what was God doing? And uh, the story filled in uh, from there. But it's a remarkable thing to, thing to think about the Bible. It's not, of course, uh, the word means book, but it's actually more like a library. And uh, there are all kinds of different genres of literature in it and written over a period of uh, about a thousand years. When you, that's really quite remarkable when you think of it. If we were to do something similar, we would have to go back to this this ancient uh, story of Beowulf about a thousand years ago, and it would also stretch right into our own mm-hmm. our own time. So, it's it's really a remarkable collection of uh, people's experience of the presence of God in their lives and in the lives of the people. Before I forget it. I'm, I'm looking at the cover of your book. Uh, there's six beautiful butterflies on the front cover. Uh, what is that? Why? What's that mean? You know, I really don't know. Uh, it's not, not one of the things they really uh, consult authors about uh, is the cover design, although I've, I've, I've wondered about it. You know, sometimes the, the butterfly is used as a symbol of, uh, of resurrection, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that, that's, that's how I think of it. I don't know why six. Uh, if it had been three, I might have been able to um, uh, hold on to that that interpretation more deeply. But, uh, yeah, I, I, like, I like the look of it, but I don't know exactly what it means. Martin, here is the second basic theme that you cover. It's simply called church. Uh, What do we need to know here? Well, I think what what I do is I I talk about very very, uh, different aspects of the life of the church, 
and uh, and and even the uh, the importance of church. You know, Judaism and Christianity are two religions that are very communal. Uh, you can't be a Christian by yourself, uh, nor can you be a Jew by by yourself. And it's uh, it's uh, fundamental. I mean, we each have our own faith journeys, our own experience of the Christian faith, but. The, the it requires community as i as i i think i say in the book somewhere it it takes two to gospel uh you you can't be a christian by yourself so that's a fundamental and then i talk about the role of the bible as the church's book uh and uh, the ways in which uh, uh christian community has interacted with this book it kind of widens the christian community to include those uh who have gone before and uh, then the the centrality of worship to uh, the um, the Christian life, and as a part of that, the the experience of the sacraments. And as a Protestant, I um, uh, come from a tradition that recognizes two sacraments, and that's uh, baptism and uh, communion, or sometimes called the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. So those are the things that I end up uh, writing about here, uh, because the Christian faith is not a disembodied uh, faith. And it's not just a series of beliefs, but it's something that's lived out and lived out in community. That's why the the church is so central to this book. And then there's a third basic theme I want you to talk about, and it's called ministry. Mm. What do you write here? Yeah, so I I write uh, uh, write about uh, prayer in this, which I in the Mm -hmm. title of that chapter is "Conversing with with God." Uh, and then I, I, I talk about some uh, the fundamental beliefs around uh, resurrection and uh, life after death, eternal life, and then and then how the Christian faith again is not a static thing, but it's something that's lived out. And so there's a chapter called "Doing Faith," and that is how we live out uh, faith in our our daily lives, and particularly how we care for the uh, the last and the least and the lost. Um, and then, and then something that uh, coming from a tradition that I'm uh, a part of that that uh, seems to have lost and trying to refocus attention on uh, what I call sharing the news, which is uh, evangelism. You know, some people are uh, scared off by that by that term evangelism, but it re- really just means literally sharing good news. Uh, with uh, angel as the middle uh, 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 part of that word. And angel simply means messenger, and we're all called to be messengers of the good news to in some way uh, tell the Christian story, even as we are attempting to uh, live it in our own lives. Now let's move to uh, the next basic theme. Uh, It's called sacraments. Uh, What do you write here? Yeah, so I write about, uh, again, about um, baptism and about about communion and and uh, I, and this is from a particular uh, tradition of of course, but I recognize that people have different traditions around baptism. There are those who will baptize infants, for instance, and others who will have what they call believers baptism. That is baptism of people who are older and able to make their own uh, faith commitments. And and I talk about why those are different, but also in what's uh, similar, because whether you're an infant or whether you're an adult, what we're celebrating is God's action. And uh, it's it's God's claiming our lives and the way in which that's uh, that's uh, symbolized and enacted uh, in in that sacrament, and then 
And then I, I write about um, uh, about the various ways that we even talk about uh, communion or uh, or the Lord's Supper. We use the various various terms. So the word Eucharist, which is used in some term uh, some traditions, really means Thanksgiving. And it's a reminder that when Jesus took the bread and the cup, he offered thanks. And the ways in which at that table we're invited to offer our own thanks for uh, God's gift, and particularly the gift of Jesus. Uh, and then another uh, term is, is communion. That is a way that we uh, commune with God at the table and also commune with one another. Here again, it's that uh, sense of community, which, of course, uh, is has the same root in the word. And and the Lord's Supper, some traditions speak of, and that really points to the mystery of how God is present uh, in that meal. Uh, and various traditions talk about how God is present, but all affirm that in some manner, uh, Jesus is uniquely present at that at that uh, at that meal. Um, Calvin said, "I'd rather receive the gift than understand it." So we may not always understand what's going on in communion, but we can experience it. Martin Copenhaver is our guest. Martin is the president of Andover Newton Theological School in the suburbs of Boston, and uh, he's written this book, which is a Really valuable, valuable handbook, let's call it, to begin at the beginning, an introduction to Christian faith. Uh, I'm curious, why is there no the or the before the word Christian, an introduction to Christian faith? Did did you ever notice that? Well, it's interesting, because you picked up on something. Uh, The first two editions were uh, described in the subtitle as an introduction to the Christian faith. Uh-huh. And the publisher suggested that that to say introduction to Christian faith would seem more active, because part of the message of the book is that Christianity is not just something to understand and affirm, but something that's lived out. And so they thought that taking the article V away and saying an introduction to Christian faith uh, seemed more active. But you, you were really perceptive to pick that up. Now I want to move on uh, to another basic theme that you cover in your book, and it's simply called Prayer, Martin. Uh, yeah. Fill us in. Well, I mean, I, I try to, uh, in some way, um, uh, talk about a prayer in, 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 in ways that demystify it. Uh, my my sense is that for us to experience the mystery in prayer is, uh, ironically, is to understand its simplicity. It's simply conversing with God. And uh, we sometimes get the sense that there is a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray, and that is certain words to be used or whatever. But when you think of conversing with a loved one, which is at least one way to understand what prayer is, uh, you, you don't think about formal language. It's it's more just uh, the way in which uh, you share your life with with the loved one, and uh, that's how I understand what um, what what prayer is. Now, there are various elements of prayer, and it's helpful to be. Uh, aware of those. There's thanksgiving, and there's praise, and there's confession, and uh, petition, that is asking things of God, and intercession, that is 
praying for other people or circumstances in the world where you want God to intervene. But really, that's just a way to understand what is, I think, a part of a relationship. And uh, so spending time with God uh, and conversing with God is how I understand what prayer is. We will be back, folks, right after these messages here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More with Martin Copenhaver right after these little messages for you, folks. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Are you in pain after a recent fall or car accident? Hi, this is Dr. Esther Pichardo. If you're in pain right now, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. That will connect you to advanced physical medicine. After a car accident, your work, the insurance, the loss of your car, everything is a concern and your life changes in a matter of seconds. Material things can be replaced, but your health cannot be. If you're in pain right now, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. Even if the pain is not severe in the first few days after an accident, studies show that physical injuries can get worse with time. If you had an accident and you're still in pain, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. That will connect you to advanced physical medicine with offices in Orlando, Hunters Creek, and Poinciana. Advanced physical medicine. If you are in pain, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. My guest is Martin Copenhaver. We're talking about his book, the third edition of his book, uh, To Begin at the Beginning. And we've covered basic themes. There's one we haven't covered, uh, the basic theme called ethics, Martin. Uh, What are you writing there? Well, I, uh, the Christian faith has implications for how we live our lives, I think is the way I would summarize it. Mm-hmm. And uh, however we uh, approach that, there needs to be uh, a continuity between what we believe and the story that we're trying to live out and uh, and our actions day to day. St. Jerome said that the faithful life is the one in which our hearts, our minds, and our uh, our feet all agree. <laughs> uh, that is to say, our feet. Where, 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 where does our faith take us, and and uh, and require of us to do? If somebody's listening today, Martin, who has, who knows nothing about the Christian faith, mm. uh, how, how do you talk to them? How how do you walk them through that? What do you say? If they're curious, yeah. let's say they are curious. Right. Right. Well, I, I think I would uh, say the invitation is is, is come and see, as as, uh, um, as it has in the Gospels. It's not something that I can describe a Christian theology and all of that. I can I can talk about Christian beliefs, but but again, I don't think that gets to the essence of Christianity as much as uh, experiencing what worshiping and serving God in community is is all about. And I think it's something that you have to, in essence, try on. Uh, Paul has this wonderful phrase where he says, put on Christ. 
that is, uh, uh, wear Christ like one would a, 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 a suit of clothes. Uh, Try it on for size, we sometimes uh, say. And uh, I also remember my mother, when I was growing up, saying, you need to leave room to grow, uh, which I used as a title for another. Um, because I, I feel like when I put on Christ, there's plenty of room to grow. Uh, that is, don't uh, fully exemplify in my own life uh, a Christian way, but I, but I, uh, you leave room to grow, even though the clothes may not fit snugly and may cause you to uh, trip all over yourself at certain points. But uh, uh, that's how I understand that. It, so it would be hard to summarize. I did. <clears throat> I was. I will say, I was once asked to summarize the gospel in uh, seven words for a publication. And what I came up with is God gets the last word. And um, actually, that's only five words, I think. So I I saved uh, two more. Uh, God gets the last word uh, when death occurs. God gets the last word by offering new life when um, sin and uh, shortcomings occur, God gets the last word by offering forgiveness. And uh, uh, when division among people uh, occurs, God gets the last word by being a reconciling presence. So the skin of the last word can be very powerful. It can be given over to um, hopelessness or violence or disease or death itself, but God gets the last word. And that's always a hopeful word and a healing word. And and that, to me, uh, is the essence of the gospel. I'm curious, with a third edition, uh, did you make changes as this book kept coming out? Yeah, you know, Pat, that's another really interesting question. So I wrote this book when I was still in my 30s. Mm. And I uh, was asked to revise it when I had, uh, uh, am in my 60s. So I, they said, you can revise this and bring it up to date. Well, there are two things that, that I experienced with that. One was that uh, the Christian gospel doesn't change uh, over time. The application of it does. So there, there wasn't, uh, I wasn't incorporating new findings, as it were. Um, it's still the old, old story that renews us. It's, it's, uh, uh, the other thing I, I experienced, though, that is uh, my perspective might change over time, but it didn't. It hasn't really. And if I were to make changes, I mean, I, I feel like I'm a different person now at 60 than I was at 30. I wouldn't know where to begin or where to end uh, in terms of how my own experiences are reflected in the text. So... Uh, so it was a very interesting process. Uh, I, I, may, I ended up making very few changes. Tell me how you read and study the Bible yourself, Martin. How do you go about it? Yeah, you know, I I have a devotional practice where I read Scripture every day, usually a, a short uh, uh portion of scripture and and sometimes read other people's reflections on that scripture uh and i I will tell you that as a person who no longer preaches regularly uh, i I do preach regularly but but kind of visiting preacher rather than to my own congregation and i'm i'm missing that devotional practice of what it was to sit down and really wrestle the text over an extended period of time, I mean, that is over a week usually to uh, to know what on earth to say about it, uh, and, and there's nothing quite like that that I've at least had as an experience of a devotional practice. 
um, because you can read a passage of Scripture and not fully understand it or fully understand its applications, and you can put it aside. Where a preacher, you need to keep wrestling with it, like Jacob with the angel wrestle with it until uh, you get the blessing, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. I want you to tell me about your school uh, in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and particularly uh, the young people uh, you see coming through there. Yeah. Uh, so I mentioned we're the oldest theological school and actually the oldest graduate school of any kind in the country, but before Andover uh, Theological Seminary, which is one of the two schools that makes up Andover Newton, uh, before Andover Theological Seminary was founded in 1807, the way ministers were trained is they would go to college. And uh, there was usually some religious education, a part of their college experience. And then they would go study under, and that was the phrase that they used, uh, under a a settled minister somewhere, um, and to uh, often live in their minister's house, use the minister's library, and uh, often marrying the minister's daughter. Uh, So I I think of it as a combination of field education and directed study and uh, Airbnb and eHarmony, something like that. Uh, But there were folks who uh, thought that that education for the ministry was so important that they they, uh, needed to establish a, a school where there would be the study would be more regularized than is possible in a more tutorial sense uh, of studying under a minister. That you would get the best teachers possible, and you would study in community, which is important, and have the best resources of a of established library and the like. And that that was before there was that kind of training for lawyers or doctors or other professionals. But the ministry was seen as uh, that important because. Uh, you were um, charged with the care of souls. And uh, we still think that a learned clergy is very important. And we're committed, uh, we're committed to that. Ministry these days is more complex in our um, rapidly changing culture. So the education is that much more important. As far as our student body, Andover Newton in more recent years has seen a, a change of the the profile of our students to uh, being um, many of them older uh, and coming as a second career, which is which is fascinating. So our classrooms are more intergenerational than would have been true a generation ago, and that uh, in, in some ways enriches the, the classroom experience. Um, as far as younger people coming into the ministry, many of them are coming to seminary. Uh, some of them are still clearly uh, in their uh, mid-faith journey that they're coming exploring, and they come with a uh, with a, a nascent sense of call and not knowing always what to make of it. Some of them may not even have much experience in the life of a congregation themselves and uh, come to seminary in part uh, for their own spiritual growth. And uh, but over time, obviously, the 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 focus shifts to the the people that they will serve and the the message that they will bear. Well, Martin, I'm delighted we can hook up. Congratulations on this third edition of your book. To begin at the beginning, I hope it does well. And it's really been uh, very very interesting to talk to you. Thank you so much, Pat. I really appreciate the opportunity. Martin Copenhaver, our guest. Uh, we'll have a wrap up, folks, right after these messages. Here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, 
It's 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word. I promise to have and to hold from this day forward. At Select Quote, we know your promise is your commitment to always be there for them, even if you're not. I promise to always protect you, no matter what. Since 1985, Select Quote has been helping people keep their promises. Our life insurance advisors shop many highly rated insurers to get you the best rates. A $500,000 term life policy could cost less than $19 a month. Just visit the new SelectQuote.com to get free quotes in minutes. Okay, I'm really nervous. Try not to freak out, okay? I won't, I promise. Now check the mirrors, then slowly back up. Visit SelectQuote.com to get started. Visit SelectQuote.com to get started or call 1-800-694-1010. That's 1-800-694-1010. SelectQuote. We shop, you save. Example rate based on a 10-year policy for a 35-year-old male in excellent health. Get full details on the example policy at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Your premium could vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors not available in all states. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Thanks for joining us, my friends, here on the uh, Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In that first half hour, Doug Logan was with us. He was in Camden, New Jersey, talking about his book, On the Block. And then we uh, shot up to the Boston area and hooked up with Martin Copenhaver. And we talked about his book. Uh, to begin at the beginning. Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. The Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And uh, please check out my latest book. It's just come out. Uh, It's called The Success Intersection, about where your greatest talent intersects with your strongest passion. And that's your sweet spot in life. And that's where where you want to stay. That's where you want to hang Uh, The book is in bookstores now and up on Amazon.com as well. Have a great week ahead, my friends. We're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 